Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of a greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is God's Word. Well, good evening. Let me have my welcome. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller. If we've not met, it's lovely to, uh, to see you, to be here with you. Let's pray together as we begin. Our Father God, your Word is clear that the Spirit says to us tonight, do not harden your hearts. So we'll be here that clearly. And would he, your spirit, impress that truth upon us so we cling to Jesus evermore for our good, for the honor of your name. Amen. Uh, I used to be a guy here at church, uh, call him Roy. Uh, He's uh, retired now and so uh, moved out of London. Um, He's in his late 60s. And Roy has angina, which means in the arteries uh, carrying blood to his heart, are hardened. They're not what they used to be. Uh, They're stiff. And so he has chest pains every so often. I've been with him when he's collapsed with a mild heart attack and had to go off to hospital. And so each and every day as he sits down for breakfast, Roy's wife gives him some tablets And the tablets are designed to soften uh, the arteries, 
so that uh, uh, they do a decent enough job of getting oxygen to the heart so it'll do its job of pumping everything around the body. So each and every day as he sits down to breakfast, Roy has a choice. Today, will I take my tablets, which soften my heart? Or today, will I let my heart grow hard? It's a choice he faces every day. Will I take my tablets, soften my heart and live? Or will I decline? My heart gets harder and slowly I'm more likely to die. We come to one of the warnings in the book of Hebrews. Today, tonight, will you... When you hear God's voice, will you harden your heart or will you soften it? And that is a choice for today, every day. What will you do? There's no neutral, says the writer. When you hear the voice of God, your heart goes hard or it gets softer. But you will respond in one of those two ways. So what will you do? If your heart gets too hard, you will die spiritually. So the choice is today, will you harden your heart? Or will it get softer? It's a fairly solemn warning that is given. You see it here in chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, verse 15, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't do that. And that's what we're thinking about tonight. Now, if you've not been with us, if you're just joining us tonight, welcome. And uh, we're in the book of Hebrews for a good chunk of this year, off and on. Hebrews is described in chapter 13, verse 22, as a word of exhortation. You can translate it as exhortation or encouragement or as counselling, perhaps challenge, uh, any of those will do. So exhortation has a number of different senses to it. And so the book does all of these things. It exhorts perhaps first like a parent on the side of a swimming pool. I'm to go to a swimming gala fairly recently, and um, not just because they're sort of vicariously living out their failures as uh, young children themselves, but parents tend to stand up out of their seats and get very animated and say, come on, Johnny, and, um, and that sort of thing. And they get very, and that's encouraging, kind of, I guess. It's a sort of loud, come on, uh, in a sort of hearty way. I mean, you know, all just from the southern counties, there are a variety there, but the, um, you know, that's, that's exhortation. In one sense. In another sense, you could go to someone who has died tragically, a bereavement counsellor, and receive counselling. And that's also a word of exhortation or counselling. So it can be excitable, come on, come on. It can be very calm and, and tender. Or it can be, perhaps, in a third sense, a bit like this. A man is having an extramarital affair. And a friend, a good friend, comes to him and says, Idiot! Idiot! You're going to ruin your marriage. You're going to have your kids hating you. Idiot! Stop it! And that is a word of exhortation for him at that moment in time. Do you see, so when Hebrews describes itself as a word of exhortation, it can be encouraging, it can be tender, it can be gentle, it can be firm, it can be full-on. Tonight we're towards the full-on-ish end of things, just so you know. 
it isn't always uh, quite like this. We've said, if you've been here then, that the book of Hebrews is chiefly then an explanation of Jesus Christ and his work. Hold on to him. And it continually, throughout the book, uh, until you get um, uh, really to chapter 12, it continually alternates between, um, here's Jesus Christ, he's wonderful, an explanation of who he is and what he's done. Look at him. He is wonderful. So last week, in in chapter 2, it was, look at him. He's wonderful. And then it alternates that between the warnings. If you fall away from him, it's horrific. So tonight we're in a warning. Now, before you get clever ideas in your head, it doesn't always alter that way in sermons. Sometimes we spend a bit longer. So you can't just think, I'll just come for the nice ones, I'll enjoy them. Or if you're a sort of person who likes a good beat up, I'll just come for the sort of rebukes. I like a good rebuke. It doesn't quite work like that how we're preaching it. But that's how the book works. It alternates between those two. So at the moment then, uh, this this then is one of those warning sections. And what we get in chapter 3 is a positive example and then much longer on the negative. Sorry about that. So briefly, the positive is uh, verses 1 to 6. The exhortation there is hold on. Hold on to courage and hope. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Great. Fix your eyes on him. He was faithful to the one who who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now, side by step. If you're joining us tonight, one of the issues that this letter is addressing is that some who are Christians were tempted to drift back to Judaism. Because Christians were being persecuted, you read it in chapter 10, being taken to court, losing their possessions. Whereas Judaism was a state-backed religion, so you're safe. Don't get harmed there. So some are drift, tempted to drift for that reason. I think in the letter also some are just a bit disenchanted and so tempted to drift. But that's why Moses is here. Jesus, better than Moses. Don't go back to Moses. Don't go back to the Old Testament is the sort of point he's making. So Moses was a great believer. Uh, chapter two, uh, Verse 2 of chapter 3, Moses was faithful in all of God's house. He was a believer like you and me. But Jesus is the builder of the house. He's not just a member like Moses was. He's the builder So stick with him. And so the writer's desire in uh, verse 6 is quite simple, really. Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So the picture is we're holding on to a rope attached to Jesus Christ. And here in verse 6, there are two strands to the rope. I know that doesn't make a good rope. Just run with the picture. I know, you need, I know that. Uh, but two strands essentially here. Courage. Boldness. The writer says, hold on to boldness as a Christian. We've called the whole series, Come Boldly to the Throne. It's a good sort of verse in the center of uh, the book of Hebrews. Boldness is meant to characterize the Christian believer. Confidence that Jesus Christ has died for you. You have complete access to God as Father, to pray freely to him, to walk into his presence spiritually, to know that he hears you, to pour out your heart to him. And the writer says, I really want you to have confidence in that, confidence or courage. And the second strand is just hope. Hope in the promises of God. Keep looking forward. Keep looking forward to glory, because sometimes this life is a bit tough. Hold on to the rope, and in particular, I want you to have courage and hope in the future. 
Courage in what Christ has done in the past. Hope in the future. Hold on. So it's the positive. Hold on. Be faithful like Jesus was. But most of the passage is concerned with this warning. So let's look at that. Today, do not harden your heart. Verses 7 to 19. Today. So verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay. That's just quite interesting as a tangent in one sense. Verse 7, the Spirit says, present tense, odd. Psalm 95 written, we're not told exactly, maybe about 1000 BC, something like that. The Spirit says, because what the Spirit wrote in the Scriptures, he always says, He's speaking it tonight. The Spirit says to us tonight, do not harden your hearts. But what we've got here is Psalm 95. A warning in the book of Psalms, written to God's people when they're in Jerusalem, uh, and uh, the kings are there, David, Solomon, etc., possibly around about 1000 BC, something like that. A warning to them saying, don't be like the people in the day of Exodus, around 1400 BC. Okay? What did they do wrong? Glad you asked. What did they do wrong? Well, there's a reference here then back to what's going on in Exodus. If you know the story of Exodus, God's people are slaves uh, in Egypt. And um, God comes to rescue them. So Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. He says, I will not let you go. And it's like the Queen song, let me go, will not let me go, will not let me go. And and on it goes back and forth. Uh, Let them go. No, I will not let them go. Have a plague. Let them go. I will not let them go. Have a plague. Have a plague. And as uh, so you get the ten plagues, eventually Pharaoh says, off you go. Um, and, uh, and of course they, they escape through the Red Sea. The Red Sea is parted. Extraordinary. God's people pass through the Red Sea and then it crashes down upon the Egyptians. Wow. I mean, to have been there and seen all that, all these plagues coming, parting of the Red Sea. Wow. How extraordinary. And we're told three days later, the people who'd seen all this said, God doesn't love us. We've got no water. We're going to die. We're going to die in the wilderness, Exodus 15, because God's not given us any water. Oh, come on. He can part the Red Sea. He's quite good with water. If you need a bottle of Evian, reckon he can do you a bottle of Evian. But they grumble. And so, Exodus 15, God says, okay, I'm going to do two things. Here's some water. But I'm also going to give them a test. He says, uh, Exodus 15, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, all will go well. Great. Just give us the water. Great. They get their water. Two chapters later, Exodus 17. We've not got enough water. God doesn't care about us. And they grumble. And they complain. And they don't trust the Lord again. Moses, you know, this one strikes the rock with his staff, outbursts a spring of water, they get water again. God's quite good with water. He can do water. That's all right. Eventually gets to Numbers chapter 14. God says, off you go, look, go and enter the promised land. And the Israelites say, it's too scary for us. The people are really big. And we're scared. And at that point, the Lord says, enough. Numbers 14. Ten times... These people have said, God doesn't care for us, will not provide for us. That's enough. They're all going to die in the wilderness. None of these people are going to enter into the promised land. And that's what's being referred back to. Something like 1400 BC. 400 years later, Psalm 95 says, don't be like them. 
You can trust the Lord and trust that he'll provide. Don't be like them who didn't trust him. And the writer to the Hebrew says, the Holy Spirit is still saying exactly the same thing today. Don't harden your hearts. When God speaks, listen. Trust him. Trust him. In particular, trust that God will keep his promise to you. The promise that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, he'll take you to the promised land of heaven, of glory. Trust him. Hold on to that promise. He will keep you. Hold on. Do not harden your hearts. Now, so that's what Psalm 95 is about. The application that the writer makes is uh, 12 to 19, and we'll spend most of our time there. You see, it's framed by the concept there's unbelief. So uh, verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Verse 19, those people back in the day of Exodus were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And notice here how unbelief is described. So verse 12, it is sinful. Verse 16, it is rebellious. Verse 18, end of, it is disobedience. So the writer wants us to be clear. Do you know what? In life, sometimes circumstances will surround you and life is tough. I'm not mixing my words. Life is tough sometimes, but you have a decision to make. And if you drift away and harden your heart, that is a moral decision that you make. It's a sinful one. It's a rebellious one. Don't do that. Don't harden your heart. So three specific things. Let's just give them verses 12, 13, 14. Three, uh, it's all application really. Don't turn away. Do encourage one another daily. Hold on. Hold on to the end. Okay, let's look at these three in turn. Verse 12. Don't turn away. Verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, why would you do that? Why did the Israelites do that? Because they were thirsty. Because they thought God wasn't going to provide for them. They thought that God had abandoned them, left them alone. They were asking, is God with us? Now, I take it for you and me in 21st century London, we are unlikely to have a strop with God because we can't get a drink of water. If we do, we are a bit sad. Uh, That's a bit petty. Uh, It's London. You can get water. It may have been through eight people already, but you can get water from your tap. Is that true? Who cares? It's such a fun stat. Um, But we're not going to rebel over a lack of water. That's not going to be the issue. And we can easily think to ourselves, golly, if I... If I saw miracles like plagues descending from heaven, like the parting of the Red Sea, I'd never have any issues with faith. My faith would be gleaming, golden, gold stars. I'd be Mr. Superfaith if I saw those sort of things. Just bear in mind, the Israelites saw them and three days later, they said, God doesn't care for us. So what's it going to look like? Well, I guess it's not that dissimilar. It's very easy to find ourselves thinking... God was, he was so vivid a few years ago. I was going well a few years ago. But now, I don't know. 
Is God still there? Are you still there? It's acute in certain times. You know, it's just about the end of September. You could easily sit here and think, well, I've just, I don't know, moved country, moved city, moved for university, and it's a time of change, and everything's different, and, you know, friends aren't around as they were before. Is God here? I mean, I know he was there back home, but, you know, there's all new, new things going on here. Is God here? doesn't seem quite as vivid as he was back home. Or it can be disenchantment. Oh, it's September again, and my life is... Uh, well, the same as it was last September. And the one before. And if I think about it, quite similar to the one before as well. Is God, is this it? Is God still there? Where have all the fun stuff gone? Where's the parting of the Red Sea? Or perhaps lonely in some way, or, or perhaps feeling insecure, a bit low. A very charming boy, girl comes along and wants to sleep with you and you think, well, they're vivid, they're real, I can feel their arms. Where's God? Is he still there? I don't know. And the writer says, look, when you go through the wilderness a bit, and life sometimes, it has its ups and downs, but sometimes the Christian life is a bit like going through a wilderness on your way to the promised land. There are dry times at times. When those come, just don't harden your heart. Just keep holding on. Keep trusting the promise of God. See, if you're tempted to harden your heart, don't. I mean, once it's a very blunt vice, isn't it? Verse 12, don't. Doubting, tempted to drift away from the Lord, stop it. It's kind of what he says in verse 12. It's not all he's going to say. But he's saying that there is a moral choice we're making here. Just don't just blame your circumstances. You do choose, even though circumstances make it hard. Verse 12, don't turn away. Verse 13, it's a bit more positive. Verse 13, encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Daily. Every day. Now look, it is three obvious little implications of this. Um, we need others. They need us. Do it daily. It's not complicated. Uh, we need others. The point here is that we'll never get to heaven on our own. All of us need to have friends who will encourage us, comfort us, shout at us, don't be an idiot. We need friends who can do that for us. All of us need that. Who will say, listen to the voice of God. And so could I say, particularly acutely, if you've only moved to London fairly recently, you've got to have some people in your life who encourage you in all those senses of exhortation. So look very practically, who encourages you? Who do you encourage? You've got to have that. All of us need that in our lives. I do fear for some... There's a certain foolishness in Christian living. And they say, oh, you know, you could ask them, you know, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Christchurch Mayfair. Oh, okay, you stuck in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How often do you go? Oh, yeah, all the time. Well, you get your diary out. How often are you actually there? Oh, uh, when I was away at that thing, and oh, I saw my... Once a month? That's not... That's not right. It's not healthy, according to the writer here. 
you're in danger of not taking your tablets because you do need one another. We need others. The second little thing, others need us. Very striking, verse 13, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You and I, I mean, we may not like this, sorry, but you and I have some responsibility for the hearts of other people here. See to it, brothers, collective, that you encourage one another. And so, look, I don't want to be rude about it, but occasionally, you say, oh, you know, I haven't, didn't see you last week, didn't, I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, um, uh, actually, I was just a bit tired and I couldn't be bothered to come. Oh. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, you know, I'm there most of the time. I just fancied a cinema trip. Uh, I just fancied popping into another church. Good for a bit of variety every now and again. And one says, of course, you're free to do that. Don't mishear me. But don't you love your brothers and sisters? Because they need you. And there may be someone just, just hanging on to the rope, just clinging on in the Christian life. And you're saying, clinging on? Oh, well, uh, I would help you, but I'm off to the cinema. Uh, so not tonight. And the writer says, no, come on. You need others, and they need you. And I just don't feel like it. It doesn't quite cut the biblical mustard, as it were. That's not a biblical pattern. Daily? Really? I think all he's saying is that Sunday's not enough. I mean, if every day is today, which obviously it is by definition, then whenever it's a today, encourage people. That is, take every opportunity you can to encourage one another. Sunday to Sunday isn't quite going to be enough for most people. As uh, uh, Matt was saying earlier, midweek groups, they matter. They really matter that we have one another and meet with one another and are accountable to one another. You know, little emails of encouragement. Uh, We prayed for this two days ago. How's that gone? Those sort of things. Are you still wonderfully important daily? I love the story of encouragement of uh, Jonathan and David. 1 Samuel 23, you know this one. 1 Samuel 23, David. He's uh, been anointed, but he's on the run. uh, Saul is king, and Saul wants to kill David and has thrown spears to try and kill him. So David has fled, and he's off in the wilderness. That's pretty glum. You've run away from your job, you've run away from your house, you've run away from your family, you've run away from the city, and you're having to stay in... I don't know, Box Hill, on the hill, I don't know. But you're, you're in the wilderness somewhere, wherever that is. You're in the wilderness somewhere, no one, no friends. And we're told one Samuel 23, Jonathan went to find David at Horesh and helped him to find strength in God. That's lovely. Jonathan didn't just sit back and think, oh, David's not around, he's having a hard time. Oh, poor bloke. Must have a cup of tea with him when he comes back. And Jonathan went to him and encouraged him to find strength in God. Not just, never mind, mate, it'll be all right. You're a good bloke. Someone will employ you in another city. I mean, that's nice. But he helped him find strength in God. Remember who your God is, David. Remember the promises that he's made to you. And we need conversation. 
do you, I don't know if you do look at the uh, um, the blog and stuff that goes up on the on the church blog. It went on a holiday. It went on holiday for August, as all everyone does. But it's, he's now come back. He I don't know. She has come back. The blog and um, blog's a funny name, isn't it? Anyway, he went to blog Norwegian for his holiday. Now I've made that up. That's terrible. That's terrible. That's terrible. That's terrible. Anyway, but he is now back and running and active. There's something that was put up on Friday, the innovation of loneliness. Anyone look at that? It's a very striking little four-minute uh, video, just emphasising the difference between, you know, in a, in a modern world, and a particularly a younger generation, we're all concerned with being connected to people. How many people am I connected to? Now, while social media has many wonderful benefits and bonuses to it, and can be a great assistance to friendship, it can never be a substitute. And the whole thesis of this little video is that it makes us lonely. Because we have all these connections with people, but the stuff we put up is airbrushed. So what photos do you put up on Facebook? The ones of you red-eyed? The ones of you with bed head in the morning? No, you tend to think, I look good in that photo, I'll put it up. And uh, the material, the written stuff we put up, it's kind of designed to give an impression of ourselves. And so you're connected, but it's a, a certain projection of yourself is connected with lots of people. It's not, whereas the difference between conversation, someone engages with you and says, nah, what are you talking about, you've muppet? That's not right. Or, yeah, that's really good, you should do that. And they can see your face, and they can rebuke you and correct you and say, what does the word of God say on that? You don't get that. If you're just connected to people, you need conversation. Listen to the voice of God. We need friends who say that. Now, why do we need friends? Why do we need people who are going to hold us accountable? Well, still in verse 13, uh, encourage one another daily. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's very interesting. For all of us, there'll be times when until someone says, wake up, we're likely to be deceived kind of thing that sin does. Have you ever watched a, a, a stage hypnotist performing? It's, a, you know, Freshers' Fair's time. You're bound to get someone. It's a real classic sort of student Freshers' thing to wheel in a, a stage hypnotist. As you know how they get, they, get, they ask for volunteers. Who volunteers to be hypnotised? And people do. Why? Why would you do that? You know you're going to be made to look an idiot. But people do. Anyway, so people volunteer. And what happens? They get hypnotised. And in their hypnotized states, they get told, play the trombone. And so they sort of play the trombone, the air trombone, play the electric guitar, and off they go and have their moment. They get told it's 45 degrees, 50 degrees in this room, and start taking off their clothes to hilarity. Why on earth would you ever do such a thing? I would never volunteer for that. You're mad if you do such a thing. But what they need is to be woken up. Because in their hypnotized state, they're deceived. It's not 50 degrees in the room, it's, it's London in October. It's 24 degrees and balmy. Uh, obviously not. The, um, you need people in your life who will say to you, Hey, hey, what are you, what's that? What are you doing? You, you're, going, you're, playing, you're playing the air trombone as you walk down the road. You're stripping off your clothes in the middle of the streets. Now, you're not literally doing those things, but spiritually, you're doing daft things. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to move to Mongolia to work on an oil rig? That doesn't make sense, I know. The, um... <laughs> Where's the church? 
How are you going to keep going as a Christian if you do that? You're doing mad things. What are you doing going off there? Oh, that's a good decision. Yeah, 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 definitely do that. Definitely do that. You need people in your life to wake you up because sin will deceive us at times. On our own, we'll think to ourselves, well, there's no harm in lying to my spouse, my friends, my parents on this issue. And sin says, it doesn't matter, just do it once or twice. Well, then later down the line, sin says, well, you're in a pattern of deception now, aren't you? You just may as well keep going. There's no point pulling out. You'll only cause hurt to people. Whatever it is, the issue of lying or lusts or money, whatever the issue is, sin will lie and say, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You need someone to wake yourself up. Throw a glass of water on you so you're not deceived. So can I plead with you? In London, where it's easy, it is easy in London to fall through the gaps, mind the gap, not just on the tube, but just relationally. You can pretend to be different things with different people. Who are those who you're transparent with? Who are those who will encourage you? Who are those you'll encourage? Who are those who come alongside you when you're doubting? When you're discouraged? When you're deceived? And speak truth. Who are they? You've got to have them. Don't turn away. Encourage one another daily. Lastly, briefly, verse 14. Hold on. Hold on to the end. Verse 14. We've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. Keep holding on to the confidence that if you trust in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven and heaven awaits you. Just keep holding on to that. Hold on to that truth. If you were here last week, we said uh, in in chapter 2, the image very much is of Jesus Christ as the pioneer. He's climbed the mountain. He's got a rope attached to him. He's thrown the rope down the mountain and he's pulling you up. You just got to hold on to the rope and it's quite easy. Or it's that the rope is attached. You just got to hold on. Just hold on and he'll pull you up. But you have got to hold on. He's the pioneer who's gone ahead. Keep, verse 14, holding till the end. Because it's no good if you live the Christian life for 80 years and then give up. You still fall to the ground if you're climbing. No matter how far you are from the top, just keep holding on to him. You've got to have that. And if you were here over the summer, we looked at Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus was in the wilderness and was tempted, and he was tempted to doubt his father's provision for him, he was tempted to doubt his father's love for him. And wonderfully, he just kept quoting back scripture, Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8, and he was faithful. He's the one who's been faithful for us. He's the pioneer who's got to the top of the mountain, even though that naturally we would slip and fall just got to hold to him. Trust in him. But you won't do it on your own. It doesn't matter how good your prayer life is. It doesn't matter how great the sermons you listen to are. It doesn't matter how uplifting the music you listen to is. It doesn't matter, actually, if you open the Bible on your own every morning. 
You need one another. You'll never get there on your own. Who will encourage you? Who are you encouraging? Because as he says here, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart, but encourage one another daily, today. Don't harden your hearts. Encourage one another today. And you've got to ask, and you've got to have an answer, who'll do that for me? And who am I doing that for? Because we need one another. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that in your wisdom you give us what we need. You, uh, certainly in this book of Hebrews, it's true of all of scripture, but here you delight us with Jesus Christ and you woo us with his goodness, his wonderful love for us. And yet alongside that, you challenge and warn and shout at us, do not harden your hearts. And Father, we need both. Please would we be both looking to Christ and clinging to him, thrilled that we have him as a saviour. Would we be examining ourselves also, not hardening our hearts, but committing ourselves to friendships where we will be exhorted, where we can exhort others to look to him, love him, hold on to him till the very end. Father, would we hear what the Spirit says? And would we respond rightly in Jesus' name? Amen.